Welcome back. Happy you could stick around. Nice and smooth. One, two, three, five. It's four o'clock, and you're listening to WOWDLP in Tacoma Park. And welcome to the first Rock Continuum program of the autumn. I'm John Page, and I'll be here with you until 6 o'clock tonight. And we've got a pretty full show for you today. At 5 o'clock, we'll be joined by composer, performer, and arranger Janelle Le Pen for an interview. And uh, in between 4 and 5, we'll be playing some new music from Robin Hitchcock and Kate LeBond, some mini tributes to Pharaoh Sanders and Anton Fear. So, all in all, a lot to get to, so why don't we jump in with a song that I thought was kind of appropriate for uh, heading into an unseasoned or an uncertain fall phase from 1967. This is Traffic. Sings that I just Yeah. 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 
the Flaming Lips from their, oh yes, that was it, War with the Mystics, their 2006 record, a track called The Wand, which uh, I guess is abbreviation for Will Always Negates Defeat. And that was the uh, expurgated version of The Wand. Before that, uh, Fontaine's DC from their latest record, Skinty Fia, was Roman Holiday, and preceded by John Cale from his 1974 Fear record with Brian Eno and Phil Manzanera. That was a track called Barracuda. That was his uh, John Cale's first record for Island label. Started off with Traffic. Uh, 1967 uh, Dave Mason song that was, uh, I don't know if it was originally on the first Dear Mr. Fantasy. It was added to later version. It was on the UK version. Hope I Never Find Me There. Okay, we lost a couple uh, major musical figures uh, last week, and one of them was drummer and band leader Anton Fear, who was a drummer and very active in the 80s New York music scene. He played with just about all the New York bands you can think of at the time. He played with the Lounge Lizards, and in fact he was with them when they uh, were the first band to open the 930 Club in 1980. He was also with the Feelies, Perubu, John Zorn, Bill Laswell, The Lodge with uh, John Greaves and Peter Blake, that, Laurie Anderson, many others. And he formed his own band, the Golden Palominos, who had a ton of uh, people play on the records. People like uh, Jack Bruce, Peter Blake, Matthew Sweet, Bernie Rorell, Richard Thompson, and like that. He died last week at the age of 66, so we thought we'd play a track from his 1986 Golden Palominos with uh, Jack Bruce and Peter Blakevat. This is a song called Something Else is Working Harder and leads in with a little spoken vocal from Jack Bruce.
Bonnewell and the Music Machine from 1966, uh, their single Talk Talk, apparently recorded for $150 in the studio back then. Before the Music Machine was the new track from Robin Hitchcock from his forthcoming record Shuffle Mania, which I believe comes out on uh, October 18th. That was the Raging Muse. And we started off in a tribute to Anton Fear, who passed away last Wednesday. He was the drummer for the Golden Palominos, and we heard the Golden Palominos track, Something Else is Working Harder. Okay, as you're listening to The Rock Continuum, and at 5 o'clock tonight, uh, we have special guest uh, Janelle Le Pen coming in to talk about her music. So that's coming up in a bit. And we've been um, talking about the Roxy Music 50th Anniversary Tour, which has been uh, traveling the U.S. now. And that happens today is Brian Ferry's birthday. So we figured, well, we have to play a song. He's 77 today. This is from the third record, uh, Stranded, and it's called Street Life.
recorded around the same time as her uh, last record, Pompeii, but just came out last week uh, and is called Typical Love. Kate LeBon is appearing in the D.C. area. She's coming to the Black Cat on October 9th. I mention that now because I suspect we're probably not going to have enough time for the Rock Continuum concert calendar and fit everything else we want to have in. So uh, I'll just mention a couple of these bands playing uh, while I'm playing the songs, if in fact I am. Okay, so that was uh, 
followed the Roxy Music track Street Life uh, from their 1973 Stranded record. Okay, you're listening to The Rock Continuum on WOWDLP, Tacoma Park. All right, let's see what we get coming up next. Actually, a little bit more Jack Bruce. Uh, this just kind of came up, and because Janelle LePin, our guest at uh, a little after five today, um, plays cello, I thought I'd put on a song where Jack Bruce actually plays cello. This is from the Cream a Wheels of Fire record uh, from 1968 and was called, or is called, As You Said.
It's a ton of acid
was Frank Zappa and the original Mothers of Inventions augmented by Ian Underwood and Art Tripp uh, from their Burnt Weenie Sandwich record. I think that was uh, Holiday in Berlin, full-blown, uh, 1970. Before that, we heard from John Greaves and Peter Blegvet from their Q Roan. It's kind of a concept album that came out in 1977 that had uh, people like Carla Blay, Mike Mantler, Andrew Cyril. And it's an amazing record, but it's also a puzzling record that the deeper you go into it, the deeper it goes. song we heard was Q Roan. And the lyrics for that, the first half is uh, an anagram, and the second half is a palindrome, both of which fit the overriding concept, which I will not try and uh, trample over here. Before that was Carla Blair herself from the Escalator Over the Hill record. Uh, it was Linda Ronstadt, of all people, singing Why, and she's got an amazing collection of uh, musicians with her, Charlie Hayden, Don Preston from the Mothers of Invention, John McLaughlin on guitar, Don Cherry, Jack Bruce, yeah, Mike Mantler. I mean, it's an amazing lineup if you haven't heard it. It's a three-record set called Escalator Over the Hill. Started that set off uh, with Jack Bruce on cello and bass uh, from his cream, Wheels of Fire. That was As You Said. So right now we're at about uh, two minutes before the hour of five o'clock. And uh, after five, we will have Janelle LePin in the studio. We'll be talking about Ensemble Volcanic Ash coming up. But before we do that, as I mentioned, uh, the second of the people we lost last week was uh, tenor saxophonist Pharaoh Sanders. And he was greatly an influential um, saxophonist who played with John Coltrane in 1965 on the monumental Ascension record. I understand his name was Farrell, and he was given the name Pharaoh by Sun Ra, who had befriended him when he moved to New York and needed a place to stay. Sanders continued to play with Coltrane and did his solo records, of which Karma in 1969 seemed to cross over to a wide audience and uh, was very popular with the counterculture. Everybody I knew at the time played that record. And Sanders played with a wide variety of musicians, notably Alice Coltrane, McCoy Tyner, Randy Weston. And last year he teamed up with Sam Shepard, also known as Floating Points, and the London Symphonic Orchestra to release an album called Promises, which he played over a bed of electronics and classical music. And this was one of the Rock Continuum Top 10 albums of the year. So we're going to hear a little bit of that in tribute to Pharaoh Sanders, who departed this plane last Saturday at the age of 81. Here's Movement One from Promises. Thank you. 
Sanders and Floating Points from their record Promises, which came out last year, in tribute to Pharaoh Sanders, who departed uh, this plane last Saturday at the age of 81. And this is the Rock Continuum on WOWDLP in Tacoma Park, where today we have special guest uh, Janelle LePen, and we'll be talking about her music and ensemble Volcanic Ash and a lot of other things. In just a moment, we figured we'd start off with one track from the brand new record that came out, I think it was the end of July, uh, the first track on the record called Children of the Water. Ensemble Volcanic Ash, uh, Children of the Water. And today on the Rock Continuum, we've got uh, Janelle LePen in the studio um, and be talking about the various musics. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with you, perhaps, um, uh, first off, welcome, Janelle, and thank you for coming on the program today. We're, we're happy to have you here. My pleasure. Thanks, John. And if um, for those of you who might not be familiar with you, perhaps you could... Uh, just give us a little background and let us know when you started performing in the Washington area. Mm. Well, I've grown up in Northern Virginia, so, you know, performing started pretty young. 
And but we didn't really start performing in DC until 2004, I would say. Okay. And what group was that? What you were playing with when you first came out in 2004? Well, I would arrange music for various ensembles, um, kind of things that I would come up with once. I think we were talking about the Galaxy Hut in yes. Arlington when I came in, that you saw me play there. Um, and I did something with guitar, with John Lee on guitar, myself on cello, and then um, I had tabla players. So that was like the first show that I did at Galaxy Hut. Very cool. That show I saw with you at Galaxy Hut, you both had cello and a two Mellotrons, which I've, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I think really? one was Carrie Ferguson's. Oh, the Farfisa. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a Farfisa, and she brought her Mellotron down. Oh, that, she had that as well. Yeah, right? that, was, oh, uh, that was so cool. It was very cool. <laughs> the <so>. El Reyes. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Or was it, and it was Beginner's Mind, too, I think. Oh, great, yeah. You know, as I remember. Because mm. right in the front window at Arlington Boulevard, that was a, a really fun show. <laughs> way back when. Sure. Well, let me set the way back machine here. And then you mentioned you grew up in Northern Virginia. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could tell us where you went to school and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. I went to George Mason University, grew up in Vienna, Virginia. Ah. Yeah. And um, my husband, Anthony Pirog, the guitar player, um, we have been friends since high school. I mean, we, were, we went to the same high school, um, but then we really started hanging out after college. We were playing music every time he was home from New York from school. And then that became the band Janelle and Anthony. So that was, you know, the band that played out the most um, after, you know, college. So you met him in high school, but you didn't really start performing together until college. Is after, that right? After college, yeah. So what mm -hmm. were things like in high school um, with the two of you? <laughs> yeah, the two of us, we were just learning our instruments. You know, everyone, everyone knew him as the, the guitar player. Had a like pompadour and <laughs> bleach <laughs> hair. I had bleach hair and I was the cellist everybody knew about. So <laughs> that's that, you know. So a natural grouping team. Yeah. There. Okay. <laughs> Did you come from a musical family? Did your folks play? Um, my father studied saxophone. My mother studied, she was a guitar player and a singer. But um, honestly, it was just important that everybody in the family played something. Yeah. A good, well rounded uh, education to play an instrument. Right. And why did you take up cello? Well, my twin sister had it first. I started with violin and I saw her with it and I thought, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> she'll drop it after a year. And she did, so I picked it up. And um, at that age, what were some of your musical favorites or the things that were kind of encouraging you or turning you on to music? Well, I loved classical music, but I didn't listen to classical music except for when I was performing it for the most part. Um, so my first love was, you know, like grunge and all the 90s treats like Nirvana and Sonic Youth and Smashing Pumpkins, stuff like that. All the music of our 90s. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> all great stuff. Well, as you mentioned that um, you're married to Anthony Barak, who's arguably the best experimental guitarist and one of the most versatile guitarists in the area. I think he's played with... He's in the Mesthetics, the El Rays, Anthony and Janelle, Wanted Man, Six Six, Spellcasters, Low Ways Orchestra, Anthony Parag Trio, and others. So how did you guys decide to start playing together? What happened there? Well, I grew up in a forest um, in Vienna, and really it was very dense forest there. So we could just have bonfires and jam. 
And that's really how we started. It was like very fairy-like. <laughs> and, um, you know, eventually we were like, oh, this is, you know, maybe something special. And we started composing together. And I was studying classically, which doesn't encourage that whatsoever. So it was really exciting for me to kind of step into that world. Yeah, bonfires. That's a thing of the past. I used to love bonfires. Was this a bonfire in your backyard? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we had a, I had a pool. There was like a, an old school pool that one of my ancestors like put in there and I would just toss in branches when they fell and light it up when someone came. So you uh, got together back then just kind of jamming and playing, mm -hmm. even though, as you mentioned, the classical tradition doesn't really encourage uh, much of that. When did you decide that you... I mean, how did that all work out with your, I guess, relationship and deciding to play together? Hmm. Well, you know, one followed the other <laughs> eventually. I, we've known each other for such a long time, so it's hard to say when the starting point was. <laughs> but. So at some point, though, you decided to form the duo, Janelle and Anthony, or did that come a ways after your relationship? Um, yes, I would say so. But we were still playing the whole time. So, yeah. But he, he actually had written um, some beautiful music with our friend Dan Sharnoff, which is called Ignorant American. And I had recorded for that band before. And little did I know one of the songs was actually called Janelle. But he didn't like tell me that it was called <laughs> So we still play that song. It's, it's like very sweet. And what were the um, early days of your playing? What was your repertoire like when you, I mean, how did you kind of find your way around to play with each other? Well, um, I would say that my training as a classical musician was kind of very intense and um, it was hindered by some physical disability that I was forming, some, you know, over-practicing habits and just no one really talked about that in classical music school. So that actually led me to be like, well, I love to play, but what can I play if I can't technically play Shostakovich anymore, you know? So, but that really freed me up, honestly. It's, it's always interesting how something that's holding you back could actually take you into a whole world that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been successful as a classical cellist, you know, very likely, because it's very competitive and that's not really me, first of all. But then writing my own music, that has been, you know, everything for me. Well, it is unusual sometimes how these things which seem like hindrances or obstacles turn out to be a benefit and right. point the way. I mean, you, I don't want to be mystically inclined, but it is kind of odd, those paths. I mean, I, I think about a number of musicians in there talking about what happened or things that happened that seemed like huge setbacks and then they turned out this incredible music that they never would have otherwise. True. I mean, just all over the board. It happens yeah. over and over again. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think this might be a good point to uh, play another track from the ensemble Volcanic Ash. And this one's called uh, Woven Forest. And what can you tell us about this one? Um, this one is really inspired by Julius Hempel's um, group with Abdul Wadad that, you know, performed that amazing work, um, Dog on AD. What a great piece, too. Arista, yeah. I remember that. That's kind of hard and out of print now to find the original. I think it was Arista at the time when it came out, but I, it's... I don't think I have it. <laughs> now I've got it on vinyl, and I thought I had it on CD, but mm -hmm. I didn't. I mean, there's been some other re-recordings of it, but yeah, that was kind of a groundbreaking work when that came out. I yeah. remember listening to it. Big, good, big, thick sound. Yeah, 
Okay, well, here's um, Ensemble Volcanic Ash with uh, Woven Forest.
woven forest from Ensemble Volcanic Ash, and we're here today with Janelle Le Pen on the Rock Continuum, the composer, arranger, and performer of that record, which came out in, I think it was July. Was it late July? Yeah, July 29. Ah, very good. You memorized that uh, that actual date. Well, before we get into uh, Volcanic Ash per se, I wanted to ask about some of the other musical projects, because... Every time I started learning more about you, it seemed like you were playing with another group. I mean, there, there was Janelle and Anthony and the Mellow Diamonds. And could you talk about some of the other groups you've worked with, um, kind of with Janelle and Anthony and up to this point? Hmm, sure. Um, well, I've been very lucky that people have reached out to me to play in their ensembles. Um, so I would do that either as a side person or a co-producer, co-writer, or um, as a string player. Um, but also I play a lot of different instruments. So I've played, um, you know, for instance, do you know the viola player Avon Kong? Not sure. He plays with Bill Frizzell. Um, oh. But I really love his solo records and he's kind of, in a way, like kind of a guiding light in a lot of ways. Um, but he, we met and it was so cool to meet him and he was like, you should come to Seattle and I'll, we'll record uh, string stuff together because he's a great string arranger. And so we did a lot of cool sub, sub pop records and touch records and other things because, you know, Seattle is all in touch with that. Um, and we were working with a great producer named Randall Dunn out there. And that kind of spurred all kinds of interesting performances like at the Stone and other spaces in New York City, like Issue Project Room, where I arranged all of Susan Alcorn's music. Um, Not all of it, but I chose certain amounts of music um, for a show for her residency. And so I chose the players and I was kind of like had carte blanche there. It was really special, big learning experience, like how to be an arranger, how to be a band leader. Um, how to rehearse a band with no conductor, um, especially music that is so evocative and microtonal. And did you learn all that when you were from your classical background, for your classical studies, or, <laughs> did you, or did you pick that up as you went? Yeah, I think a little of both, you know. Um, but and I've played bass in um, like a bit a surf band, El Rays, for many years with my husband, and then also play bass in. A, Priests, which is like a local band that recently broke up. Let's see, what else? Uh, I mean, honestly, there are a lot of things. A lot of things to go by the wayside, and it's hard to remember, like Mellow Diamond, for example. Now, what was the idea behind that group? Well, that's just me. Okay, so it's solo, essentially. Solo, yeah, all of it is solo um, so far. And I'm actually in the middle of a fourth solo record, um, whether I'll call it Mellow Diamond or not, but it's the same project. Um, The first one, I'm playing all kinds of instruments. There's a wonderful studio called The Brink, which is just now, unfortunately, closing. But um, my friend, Mike Reyna, kind of just gave me the space to write and record any instrument that I wanted. And his studio is such a wonderland of interesting vintage gear. And so I would play anything from a Mellotron, like an actual Mellotron with tape or to a beautiful Prophet synthesizer to, um, you know, and all the vintage stuff where you can actually twiddle the knobs and not have to go into diving into, you know, folders and folders on a computer. computer right? okay. Yeah, there's it's a different process, you know, and on a real nice MCDI board, like it just it's very special and warm. 
And that atmosphere was really perfect for me. So I have three solo records. The first is me playing lots of instruments, everything from drums and guitar and bass and keyboards um, and vocals, which was supposed to be instrumental. And then I came up with lyrics all of a sudden. I was like, okay, I guess I'm singing, which is great. And then the second one is voice and Mellotron, which is uh, my digital Mellotron that I have. And then the third is cello and voice okay. with just a little bit of Mellotron on there. And now this one will be with a full band, so. Oh, okay. And is that, how, where, how far along is that? <laughs> um, I pretty much had it almost ready for the final touches in 2019 and then, you know, pandemic. So I am now second guessing <laughs> things, trying to get it current for me. Okay. And then probably next year, I'm hoping can release it. And we were also talking uh, during the break about uh, Jamie Branch. I'm curious how you started working with her. Oh, Jamie's just a bud, you know. It's very, very painful that she's gone. Yeah. Um, we've known her ever since she booked us at Heaven in Chicago. Anthony and I played there, um, like, the middle of the 2000s. And uh, we were buds ever since. She went to Baltimore, and then we ended up hanging out a lot, um, mostly at the, um, oh, no, wind-up space, where they did Out of Your Head um, where I bring different groups of people to just improvise every week was very cool. So that was an interesting scene to be part of. And then, I mean, I have a fashion business where I make uh, clothing out of people's art designs, um, my own as well. And I was actually working on a big project with her, um, but then, you know, times are tough and it didn't actually come through. I mean, we both were really excited about it, but it was gonna be like, Eight hundred dollars for this piece in order to make it like per piece, and wow. it was like she just had a huge vision uh, as a as a musician and as an artist. I mean, she was an artist as well, very right. very great artist. And she, but she didn't like promote that a lot, you know. Well, I, the, you mentioned the fabrics, and I know you've had artworks up and then fabrics. I mean, tell me a little bit about that side of things because that's um, a, yeah, um, the weaving. Um, has been really fun. I just had all these beautiful vintage gowns and dresses that were shredded from me wearing high heels and carrying amps upstairs and stuff. Like, and I, but I couldn't get, let go of them because they're really like history to me and they're very beautiful. Um, maybe something I picked up in San Francisco sometime, you know, for five bucks and I just wore it to shreds, you know. But I would weave it into weavings and um, with these cool psychedelic colors or whatever, depending on what um, palette. There are some pieces still up at Comet Ping Pong right now. I had a long-term show there up until pretty recently. So. And what were you talking about? The show that's coming up there next month, I think it right. is. Um, yeah. October 21st. 21st, very good. Okay, on that. And then I uh, we'll want to talk about Ensemble Volcanic Ash here in a second. I think what we'll do now is maybe go back and uh, play a Janelle and Anthony track. Uh, this is a track, uh, Big Sur, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about how this came out. Um, let's see. Big Sur. Anthony started writing this song and it was very demanding of me, like, physically to play. It's still demanding of both of us. It's it's like kind of a beast of a song. But we both got married. We got married in Big Sur, so it's got a lot of um, heaviness in a beautiful way for us. Very good. Here's Janelle and Anthony with Big Sur. 
That last track is Alice Coltrane from her record uh, Journeys in Scotia Nadanda, um, 1971. Also with Pharaoh Sanders uh, on that track. You had chosen that as something that was kind of influential to you. Can you tell me a little bit how that kind of influenced you? Well, Alice Coltrane really showed me that the harp it really belongs in jazz and you know I don't get to see it very often so I'm the type of person who's like well I want to hear more <laughs> jazz harp I love like Dorothy Ashby and uh, oh, Brandy Younger and all these wonderful harp players that you know it's so rare to see them in person but there's a wonderful jazz harp player named Kim Sater here in DC and so that's been a very rich relationship she's a great person and a great musician yeah it is it seems to be making I don't want to say a comeback but it does seem like there's a little bit more prominence I mean I think Maeve Gilchrist is you know getting some um, play and I saw her with a rouge of tub and it just the harp seemed to fit right in I mean it was like yeah. You know, Absolutely. so, I mean, maybe it's people's ears are expanding. Well, I don't know who would say no to see harp, but it's just, it's a maybe technical issue where you have to move the harp and, you know, it's a big ask to bring, ask someone to bring a pedal harp out as well. Yeah, that's the one you don't want to be carrying. It's like, the, it makes the drummer think, oh, I got the easy job yes. here. <laughs> yeah. Well, this brings us around to Ensemble Volcanic Cash, so I want to ask you about that group. I'm, I found the record very impressive in the live shows, too, and uh, I wanted Thank to kind of know how that group came about. What made you decide to put together a large jazz ensemble? Thank you. Well, um, it's not my first. Uh, 2007 was my first band where I had um, players, a lot, a lot of players, um, and our first show was, again, at Galaxy Hut. <laughs> It felt like I was guiding a huge ship, um, but it, it kind of depressed me a little bit because, you know, without rehearse, proper rehearsal and stuff, it was hard to nail what I wanted to do. Like, for instance, we did Dog on AD for the, for the first time in 2007, and the drummer had been, I don't, he, he's not around, I'm not going to say his name, but he had been drinking and he couldn't do the, he couldn't count to 10, you know what I mean, to do it. <laughs> so it was really heartbreaking for me. I would think, you know, I've learned a lot over the years you know, coming from classical music where everything is about perfectionism and everything is needs to be a certain way. And then like just rolling that back, you know, this process of becoming a band leader and also just like playing with people at all in this scene, it's really, you have to be open to everyone's ideas. You need to be um, flexible and you need to let everyone shine, you know, and that's the most important thing to me. You know, my compositions are important to me, but everyone's bringing something to that, you know, and um, letting go of that perfectionism is like a huge part of like just my self-explore, you know, exploration, you know, as an artist. Well, it's a big challenge to put a, a group like that together. And what made you decide to undertake this? Was it just the way you heard the music or just something you wanted to yeah. kind of be in? Or Well, you know, I hear the, you know, when I'm writing, I'll hear certain harmonies. And so, I, well, I guess I need another saxophone player. You know, there was a time actually, I'll tell you. So Bobby Hill, you know, who is a wonderful DJ here, Wow, D. Does this music on Saturday mornings. Yeah, yeah, and then also he was at 89.3 for many years, WPFW. And that's actually how I started getting into this music was listening to his, his station, um, his show. But, um, you know, he had told me, I really see you performing in this group. He had like a vision. It was like bassoon and saxophone 
and voice and cello. And I performed that at Bohemian Caverns. I wrote music for that ensemble. Okay. And that ensemble evolved over many years from 20, that was in 2013. And it evolved into this ensemble with two saxophones, tenor and alto, Brian Settles and Sarah Hughes. Sarah's been in the band since 2013. So that's my closest collaborator there. Anthony on guitar, uh, Larry Ferguson on drums, Luke Stewart on bass, which really freed me up having a bass player because I could solo more. I could take other lines, like maybe add a third line um, for a melody. And, um, and then a Kim Sater on harp. So honestly, if you don't have the voices, it really doesn't have as much richness as it could, you know, for me. And I'm used to sitting in an orchestra, right? So there are so many lines that you're hearing when you're sitting in an orchestra. And I think that influenced me. And how were you able to pull all these people in? You seem to be picking from some of the best players that are <laughs> around. Yeah, they are the best. <laughs> I mean, they're all friends. They've been in the scene, same scene that I've been in, but you know, I'm very thankful. That's all I can say. Well, so um, the, was it the predecessor of, of Volcanic Ash? It's been around since 2013. Yes, and then before that, 2007 was when I started writing this. Um, I, it's just like a slow burn. It takes a long time for me to release things, you know. Well, I'm curious too is how the name came about, Volcanic Ash. I read something about it and it was like, whoa, did that happen or what? What was the story there? Yeah, I was on a plane after having been grounded at the end of a very long tour with a psych rock group that I was in with um, Kip Malone from TV on the radio. I was playing cello with his group and then we got stuck in Dublin for like a week because of the Icelandic volcano. I can't say the word of the name <laughs> of it, but there was glass in the, in the sky, right? And it grounded all the planes worldwide for, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was like 12 days something. So we got on the first plane that we could to get back home after such a long tour. But when I was sitting there, you know, it's that pensive feeling like, well, glass could go into the engine in any moment, you know? And um, I, when I'm traveling, that's like my favorite time to write, you know, things come to me, just that suspended feeling, you know, where you have no control over anything at all. <laughs> and, You're uh, out of your ordinary element. Yeah, so also volcanic ash. I mean, it, it, it grounded, it stopped everything, you know, in the world and it had such a high impact. And so I thought that was really interesting, just this mystical um, ether in the air almost. Now, who was the original core of volcanic ash? Was it a small group or did it all kind of come together about the same time? The core players originally were Sarah Hughes, um, Amy Fraser on bassoon, and no drums, no bass, no guitar. Um, and then sometimes I would have other, I mean, and Kim. Um, and there were other players that I have played with and they were wonderful, but you know, it's like, it, this ensemble didn't work for everybody. You know what I mean? Um, there's a classical harpist that was not interested at some point, you know, and I was like heartbroken, but then I was, then I found Kim, you know, so, um, and, and Kim is classically trained by the way, I mean, She's a classical harpist, but she's so open to jazz and she performs jazz. And that's really what I needed anyway, so. And how did Luke come to join the group? Uh, that was, I haven't asking him, like you mentioned that you saw the Oliver Lake show yes. that we um, opened for him. That was a huge honor for me, obviously. 
Um, I had been asking him to play with the group many, many times, but always Capital Bop was the one pre like presenting our group. So he's part of Capital Bop and he has a lot of ethics, like ethical standards where he doesn't want to participate in the band that's playing if it's Capital Bop presentation um, because it's like a conflict of interest. So now that it wasn't, Capital Bop pre presenting it, he could join okay. that residency at Rhizome. That was when we started playing in that ensemble. And that's when he kind of more or less became part of the group? Yeah, I mean, we had played in other scenarios over the years, you know, um, like this really cool rock band and also with like Brandon Moses and- What was the rock band's name? Uh, Laughing Man. Ah, okay, yeah, very They good. were so cool. I loved that band. And Larry Ferguson, as I mentioned, I first had seen him in Beginner's Mind, which yeah. is a psychedelic rock group. And mm -hmm. I know he's a drummer for the military. How did you, how did he come into the access of all this? Oh, Larry is just such a, a fine drummer and also very open to different styles of music. But he has this really nice vintage sound and he has all these beautiful vintage kits at his house. Um, but we've been playing with him since the beginning of the L Rays, which was about 15 years ago, maybe longer. So it's hard to say when that started. <laughs> and is he now a member of the trio? I mean, or is the trio an ongoing thing or is that kind of more one-off with you and Anthony and Larry? Yeah, we have some things that we have worked on in the past, but it hasn't been recorded. So we'll see if that happens. I hope so. Volcanic Ash is usually classified as jazz, but it, I mean, it really seems to encompass chamber, avant-garde, contemporary classical, art rock, jazz, and all other genres. And was this a conscious decision to put this all together this way? It's or honestly, like I can't, I'm not very good at delineating between one and just, or the other in terms of genre. And the same with my music too, um, my solo music. I, it's just, it's a hodgepodge of all my interests. That's what comes out. <laughs> So it's just kind of a natural process. Yeah, like for instance, Children of the Water was written, um, I wrote it for an orchestra that I was conducting in Seattle when I was there. I was working with these upper level high school students before class, you know, like 6.37 in the morning. And then I wrote this for them to play. And Seattle's a very watery town, so I called it Children of the Water. And I mean, that was a long time ago, but I brought, I was like, that's a perfect way to start, you know, this piece, you know, this, um, record. It's so, a great kickoff to the record. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, thank you. But it's almost apparatic in a way, you know. And then um, I'm amazed when I watch it seems like part of the music is improv, part of it's totally composed and how do you work that out with the, the band members? Is that just a kind of a generic process or how does that? Um, yeah, I mean there is something on a standard about the idea of like whether you're going to play the head and then play the head again. I mean that's the way I think of my compositions even though they don't really look like a standard like head in jazz music, it's more like, you know, maybe this will just be AB. Like Woven Forest, you mentioned, um, one is very, the first section is very different from the other. But, um, you know, the, the A section like grounds the piece and the B section catapults the piece into improvisation and like it's a bed for improvisation that will kind of just like free up and expand. You know, and so the improvisation is happening throughout, except in those moments. And uh, I put the set list together. Everyone knows, like, approximately what I'm looking for. Okay. Yeah. I mean, are you starting to develop that kind of uh, 
just uh, chemistry or just each of you knows each other well enough to be able to kind of work those things out or is it still in process? I mean, musicians are so, I mean, intelligent, you know, with their ears the second they hear the beginning of a song, even if I didn't count it in or say the title, they know, you know, it's, it's interesting. Musicians are interesting breed, you know. And this is maybe just me, but it seemed to me that your music before and after the pandemic, there was a shift. I mean, when I heard you first time after the pandemic, the music sounded, I, don't, I can't quite describe what the difference was, but it was just almost expanded in a new way. I mean, did that have something to do with the way you wrote? Maybe. Um, well, this music has been written for a long time, um, some of it. So I guess it's hard to say exactly what happened during the pandemic, but I know that I sunk, I sank into the strings in a different way as myself, as a player. So that maybe that had something to do with it. Um, yeah, kind of embrace the sound of Abdul Wadad like fully, you know, I said, you know, what do I really want to sound like? You know, and Abdul Wadad is to me like the, the best cellist that ever really lived. And, um, so sad that he just passed, but um, really grabbing the strings with the bow in an intense way is not something that I studied in college, but um, it really gave me a lot of power, you know? And so that just takes maturity maybe to step into that. I'm like 41, so I've had time to do that now to maybe. settle down and get and find kind of what you gravitate towards what you want yeah what what, what i really want to sound like you know before i was just more concerned about is it in tune is this happening is that happening and now the i'm mechanics like, yeah i mean just you know it's a hard instrument it takes a long time to master and i'm not i haven't mastered it but it, where i'm at right now like sinking in and being more powerful and grounding that's where i want to be and maybe I can ask you a little bit if you can talk about your compositional process, how you go about composing tracks. Do you have a sp specific method? I know at one of the Rhizome shows you were talking about, you and Anthony were talking, you said, well, just go write the song. And you went and, said, yeah. you went and read it. Do you have a usual way you go about when you sit down to compose? Um, well, a lot of the time I need um, some kind of deadline um, in the past, at least. And so now I'm actually stepping away from that um, where I don't necessarily need a deadline and I don't need some kind of exterior pressure in order to create something. But in the past, if there's a show, I'm going to write something for the show and that's my goal. And so that always pushes me. It also keeps it like very fresh on stage because you've got something new that you're going to perform each time for better or for worse. <laughs> but, well, it probably yeah. adds a little bit of uh, yeah. frisson. Anxiety, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Well, like something Robert Fripp told me one time when he was out playing, and he would take people he was teaching out to play in a public performance, and he said, there's nothing like a little the prospect of a little humiliation to focus the attention. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if I don't write something new, you know, how are we going to get something fresh happening on stage? You know, that's the way I think about it. But um, I'm always changing my process, you know. 
So it's, it's, a, it's in flux. I mean, it's just, it's not a static thing. That I, mm-hmm. This is how I compose. I well, see. I hear it in my head a lot of times. Sometimes I do it at my keyboard. Sometimes I'll do it while playing guitar. I play a lot of different instruments. So I like to bounce around the instruments because one, it doesn't bother me physically to do that. But also the cello is, it only has four strings. And you've got to move your arm in such a way if you want to play more than one. So um, piano is nice because you have so many voices accessible to you. And it's, I love just putting my hands on the instrument and like settling into something instead of intellectually thinking, oh, I'm in the key of C, like on the cello or something, or I'm playing in C sharp minor or something like that. I'm a little bit more intellectual on the cello, whereas on the guitar or the piano, I, don't, I can switch that off. Ah. Well, thank you for that. And I'm, I didn't leave enough time as, a, as usual because there's a lot more I'd like to talk about. Oh, but worries. maybe we can talk about also some of the upcoming shows that mm-hmm. uh, Volcanic Ash has. Okay. Well, um, first of all, we are playing Orion in Baltimore. And that would be really great with Desertion Trio. That'll be fun. And uh, it's a little up in the air whether the Kite and New Music Festival by Bill Worrell will be going on because they're is projected rain. So we may be pushing that date. So stand by on that one. And then we have Comet Ping Pong on October 21st. And that's with Kifa's band um, Struggle, which will Excellent. be great. All things are great things to look forward to. Jill, I want to thank you so much for coming down today and doing the show. I've been looking forward to this. And we're going to go out with uh, another track from Ensemble Volcanic Ash. This is Palace for Alice. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about that. I just had to do some kind of ode to Alice Coltrane and and this one, this is for her. (laughs) Well, thank you. And uh, we'll be back with you and the Rock Continuum in two weeks. Uh, Stay tuned for High and Low. Mm -hmm. 